going up. Welcome to the Pop Tower Podcast with your host, the man behind the myth, Peter Dawson, and the soulful lord, James Bullock. So 96 of the, of the Pod Tower Podcast, I'm Peter W. Dawson. And I am James, Agent 46, Bullock. You should try this. <coughs> Care for a snack. <laughs> that's, that's the best 47 I do. <laughs> and I don't think I sounded enough like a snake. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how snake-like that, that dude He really sound. sounds like it's incredible. Yeah, like... It doesn't help that he's also bald and he's kind of pale, so he does look like how uh, Ralph Fiennes looked as Voldemort in the Harry Potter films. <laughs> so it's like, are we playing a really weird Voldemort origin story? <laughs> uh, so if you haven't figured out what we're talking about, we're talking about uh, Hitman 3. Yes. Which is one of the two things we're going to talk about today. We'll talk about some TV a little later. Uh, yeah, but we're going to talk about, I believe this is the first game actually called Hitman 3 without even a subtitle, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you're right. Yep. Yeah, 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 because the original series was Co- Hitman, Codename 47, Hitman 2, Silent Assassin, Hitman Contracts, Hitman Blood Money, Hitman Absolution. Right. And then we and then we got the kind of the, the trilogy reboot, which is, this is the conclusion. They call it uh, the World of Assassination Trilogy, which is, they've kind of gone back and forth if this is like an origin story or not. Yeah, it's because, weird, because, like, like, it started off very much like an origin story, and that's, and of course, you know, with, with this trilogy, of course, it's like a narrative trilogy, so it makes sense the way they try to plot it, but yeah. with the reboot and everything, like, it felt like an origin story, but now it felt like such a short a short ordeal for, for Agent 47 compared to how much he had to go through in the first three, well, had between, uh, just at least between 1, 2, and Blood Money. Yeah. Well, like, what it makes me think of is, um, how, uh, <laughs> like, in the James Bond franchise, with Casino Royale, it wasn't necessarily meant to be a reboot so much as just an origin story. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they were trying not to do hard continuity. But then they did Quantum of Solace, which was an immediate follow-up, which was a little awkward. Mm-hmm. And then they did, uh... Skyfall, which seemed to imply that the events of Goldfinger happened in between Quantum and Skyfall, yes. at the very least. Which gets really weird when you think about it. And then, so it's like, James Bond has fully become a man unstuck in time. And it's just, uh, like, that's a franchise you really don't need to add continuity to. Yeah. This one, I guess you could have done it, because there was some narrative stuff. But, I mean, like, the narratives of Hitman were never their strongest suit to begin no, with. No, no, and that was one thing, like, I've always said about this trilogy in general is the fact that I know they try to push the idea of, of this being a, a narrative, but it's always been the idea of Hitman outside, like, Absolution and Blood Money to a certain extent. Like, Blood Money really, like, had a big story at the end, but uh, Absolution was, like, probably the more story-heavy version of a Hitman game. And this one was, like, okay, it went back to, like, the uh, the origins of the reason of why we're here is the story. Why you're doing this mission is the story. Until we got to the end of Hitman 2 and leading into this one. Yeah. And so, once again, we have Agent 47 um, basically diving in to various exotic locales. Mm-hmm. 
to ultimately defeat, um, what was her name again? Providence? Yeah, the Providence, yeah. Yeah, you know. You know, we have to have this, this secret organization somewhere running the world. Yep, yep, they're, they're, uh, mysterious Illuminati-like mm-hmm. thing, and of course, at the end of the second game, uh, at least the original plotline, uh, they were very much doing eyes wide shut nonsense. <laughs> And, like, there was that dude, the constant that you kidnapped at the end, and, of course, this game immediately opens with, the constant has escaped. I'm like, oh, god damn it. Yeah, that, 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 that was such <laughs> there was a, a bait and switch. There was a Let's Play I watched where the guy was like, oh, no, all my all my work from the last game has been undone. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a pretty great reaction to that. <laughs> that is a perfectly reasonable ex- uh, reaction to that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's, it, it, it does kind of feel like they kind of wrote themselves in a yeah. with that. Like, we knew we wanted to have a trilogy, but how do we continue this? Oh, of course he escapes! Yeah. And then they emphasize it even more in this game. He's just that slippery. Yeah. It's it's a little disappointing, yeah. I'm not gonna lie. And, but yeah, we get some other good stuff going on. And, like, so we get a bunch of exotic locales. Um, so it opens with you basically recreating Mission Impossible 4. Yes! And 5. <laughs> I gotta love that, because it's like... It's the it's literally the the big scene from two separate Mission Impossible. Yes. Because you're going to the Scepter, which is I believe a fictional version of that uh, giant tower in Dubai. Mm-hmm. Because you know they wanted to do the giant tower in Dubai thing like they did in Mission Impossible Four, but instead it's like um, and but they do the Halo jump, even though they actually don't have to go that far, especially with how the camera angles are in that yes. intro. I'm sorry, I'm focusing on this a lot, but it's just like, it's hilarious how the intro to this game goes, because it's like, all your work in the last game has been undone, now you're going to halo jump onto this giant tower in the middle of the sky, even though you appear to be approaching it from below? Yes! (laughs) Like, I mean, thankfully the game is pretty good after that, but like, it's such a weird, like, oh no, what have they done? (laughs) And it's amazing because, like, I understand the premise of you kind of like cut off in this regard in terms of how how you can infiltrate areas but it was just hilarious just how how easily he infiltrated so many different areas in this one without any help from from a a larger party in the case of like diana and in this case it was like hey let me just sky jump onto a building and somehow i can just easily find my way in and change my clothes and i'm good to go Yep. No, 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 and and then they even add that to the fact that uh, even added to the fact is the fact that um, we know that he's kind of being hunted at this point, so I don't know how he wasn't obvious even when he came out originally. I know this is kind of the weird thing, uh, like this game, this game more than any other, I think, kind of has the frustrating problem where like on the one hand, your missions are basically all to kill people again. I don't recall off the top of my head. There's one or two where you had to, like, do a thing besides just kill people, right? Um, I want to say in China? In China? Well, you still had to kill people in China. But, um... Yeah. The way you went about like, it... But, like, like, they, they were just kind of like, oh, you have to... The main thing about that mission is that you have to hack a security system. Yeah. But we can't just do that. We have to kill somebody. No, of course, because you have to be able to kill someone in every hitman. Right. You, know. you, can't, you can't have a mission without that... killing someone. Well, I'm just because, because like in this this trilogy, my favorite missions have been the ones where there's no, um, like other thing you have to do. Because like, what is it? Italy in the second one, or the first one? Sorry, the second the second level of the first one. There was the Italy thing where you have to get the virus, and I was always just like, uh, yeah, yeah, that's the part. Yeah. I, and um, 
But I also didn't like, uh, what was that, Utah or whatever, or North Dakota? Oh, where yeah. You have to infiltrate a, where you have to infiltrate that cult, and it's like, so you have to immediately get a disguise. Like, I hate, I, I, I never like missions where you have to almost immediately disguise yourself. And I never like missions where you have to do something besides just kill people. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah the, Utah, like, the Utah one was so long-winded, too, because there were so many little steps you had to do to try know, to make sure yeah. everything worked. Yeah, and then at the end, you do have to infiltrate that room, although I think they only make you do that on the first playthrough. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty easy after that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. the virus, I believe you have to do every time. I can't remember. Yeah, I believe you do, yeah. This will become relevant because one of the cool things about these, this trilogy that I do like is that they inter integrate all the games into each other. Yes. Which lets you kind of port your equipment and stuff across, which is very nice. And this also includes now PlayStation VR. Yeah, and that was one thing, I, unfortunately, I didn't have a chance to test out, but I've heard nothing but positive things about it. Yeah. No, that was, that in general, once you get it working, is supposed to be pretty good. Um, they did get ri rid of the uh, multiplayer modes. Yeah, oh Which my goodness, I was cause... so disappointed with that because I love the ghost mode in Hitman 2, which was the PvP mode where you had to try to beat your opponent and killing five targets before they can. And, like, it was always pretty much in beta, like, from the time they put it up until the time the game pretty much was over, and it was just stuck in, like, the one map, but I so loved doing that mission over and over again. Yeah, and the sniper stuff was pretty fun, too. Yeah, they still, had the, they still had the sniper assassin mode in the game. It's just single player now, which, you know, it's not as fun at all. It was no, fun, it was fun it when you could work together and stuff like that. to snipe people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so the missions this time, like I said, there's Dubai, mm -hmm. uh, Dartmoor. Uh, Dartmoor's fine, I guess. Yeah, well, Dartmoor's like one of the more interesting ones, but it's like interesting in the premise but once you start mm. playing, it's not that fun. No, I mean, I think Berlin's probably my favorite. Same here. Yeah, that's, that's just high stakes. Yeah. Like, okay, you have to try to get these assassins before they get you. And it's just, you don't know exactly. You, you can identify them pretty simply. But the crowded area that you're involved in at this time makes it so difficult to find a perfect spot. And I love it. It's like, it really makes you think about how in the world can I get away with killing a whole bunch of different people at one time. Yeah, and like, well, disguising, like, disguises are still definitely helpful, but they're not quite the same. Yeah, so it's like, Because, yeah. yeah, like, that's, I think, what makes the Berlin one stand out to me. I mean, Dubai is solid, but, I mean, you're infiltrating a building from the outside, so almost immediately, like, well, you're not supposed to be here, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Which also has, like, that weird watchdogs mechanic. Yeah, yeah, we had the uh, the camera hacking, yeah. The, yeah. That you barely use it. It's, it's really, it was really an unnecessary tool. I know, that was a weird... It looked like it was going to be a new feature, and then I was like, huh. And then I... Then I, uh, I don't actually own this one yet, but I've been watching Let's Plays through, and huh. I was like... Uh, I watched the Let's Play the second one, I'm like, they didn't use the camera. Yeah! <laughs> I think it came up in Chongqing, or, you know, the Chinese player. Uh -huh. But, yeah, like, it was like, what's going on? Yeah, well, I mean, they introduced it right at the beginning, and, um... The fact is, is that, like, the first thing they do is, like, oh, you can open a window with this. Okay. You can uh, put a blinder on a window with this, so you can do things behind the window. Oh, okay. Camera! <laughs> That's it. But, like, I was expecting, like, using something like Watch Dogs, where I could use the camera maybe to hack somebody's intercom or something, or, or walkie-talkie, to distract them. Like, that's what I was thinking I would be able to do with it. No, no, it's just it just changes windows 
and opens and closes windows. Yeah. Yeah. The coin, the coin is still more effective. Well, the coin is still one of the greatest weapons yes. in the Hitman. <laughs> and like, like that and, um, what is it, uh, the vomiting drug, the anemic or whatever. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Those are two still the best yes. weapons you have, because there's never not someone you can't drown in a toilet. Yes! <laughs> I mean, like, I was using that in the final mission of, uh, this or sorry, no, I wasn't. I was watching people use it in uh, the final mission of this one, and I myself was using it in the final mission of uh, Hitman Two. Right, yeah, Because yeah. <laughs> the especially the anemic syringe, where it's just like mm, poop, or it's like mm, vomit drug, mm, vomit drug, and you're just jabbing people <laughs> with it. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's much else to say though. Like the gameplay in general is pretty solid. Yeah, it's, if you enjoy the first two of this trilogy, then it's no different than that. It's just a few more options here and there. Um, it, it feels about the same. It The gunplay is about the same, too. The melee is that quick time event that I still hate. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, other, I mean, pretty much it's, it's the same game that we've been playing for the last few years. Just different locales, a few different weapons here and there, and, and the mission stories that, of course, you know, kind of hold hold your hand and lead you to a, a specific way of killing someone. It's still there. Um, the challenges are still there, which makes it always the more interesting of figuring out how you're going to kill someone. But um, yeah, it's more of the hitman that we've enjoyed for the last two games, just with, as you said, the ability to have all of them now in one package. Oh, exactly. And, like, that really helps, too, because uh, one of the things you can import is the um, exclusive golf ball yeah. from the first game. <laughs> like, that just comes to mind because, like, there's that guy in, uh, du- I think it's Dubai. He- he's also a golfer, so it's, like, explosive golf ball. Yeah! <laughs> I just remember because that's the, that's the same guy with the ridiculous thing where it's, like, here, take these throwing knives, throw them off the side of the building to hit these targets. <laughs> and they're, like, those knives are going to fall to earth. <laughs> Like, I don't know, some of them Dubai in particular just being on top of the world and just like, fling, stuff falls off the building. There's like, so many little things you can figure out how just to, to remove a body by throwing it off the side of the building. How many floors up do you start in that game? That's a very good question. I'm just thinking, because anytime you dump a body off the edge of that one, or just throw something off, like the coin, dear God, they tell you not to do that on the Empire State Building. Yeah, because um, the one of the missions that you're in, in the Dubai section, and you're able to kill the guy, the, your targets in a specific room, and you can use the exit to go out right on the side of the building, of course. And like you said, you and I didn't go up that much higher in terms of flights of stairs, and I'm still really, really high. So, <laughs> like, I don't even know where the floor starts in this in, in that room on that in that building. Yeah. Where's ground level on that building? I don't even know. Hey, everybody has to copter in. <laughs> no, they said there was elevators. They're just locked down for the for the for the convenience of the mission. <laughs> Plus, they added that feature where it was like, um... actually, there is one thing that's probably worth mentioning, which I thought was cool: is you can unlock shortcuts that are available in future places. Yes, they stay open the whole time. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. I did not know that until I went through the uh, the uh, Darkmouth area, and I had no idea when I did a second one. I was like, oh, the shortcuts are still open. Yeah, yeah, because Dartmouth in particular, yeah, that's, uh, 
Or not Dartmouth. Um, Dartmouth. Dartmouth, Moore, Dartmouth Moore, yeah. Dartmouth is um, southeast of London. Where yeah. is Dartmoor? Can't remember where Dartmoor is because that's a real place yeah. too. Oh, that's in Devon. That's uh, not not to be confused with Devonshire. Now I'm just saying that because I, that amuses me. Oh yeah, those are like Dartmoor, southwest London. Uh, Dartmouth is southeast London. Okay, okay, there London, we go. In UK. I know there's more to the it's, UK it's than just... London. <laughs> I'm just because because Dartmouth I th- is like forty kilometers southeast of London, so I think you can technically still commute from there. Oh, I'm getting off track. The point is, these are great games, uh, and it is it is a satisfying conclusion, I think, with uh, a couple of neat features, including a couple of secret endings. Yeah, yeah, I did not expect that. Which does fall into the weird time paradox again. And then kind of, that of course, yeah, I'm not going to spoil too much, but I will say it does leave it open a little bit. You know, if um, yep. even though they're they're promising the conclusion, there are options. <laughs> yep, and and they did say DLC is coming. Yeah, uh, which makes sense. Although they are now working on uh, Project 007 or whatever the code name for that is, mm. which will be interesting because I would love to see them. Because we talked about this James Bond, what I would love to do is see them if they can do a, a game like this, where it's Hitman style gameplay, but there's more like dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Like instead of being the weird snake man who just kind of goes, "You should try this," or "I am the god," or well, whatever. With like these kind of oddly placed cutscenes to to break up the monotony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like instead of something like that, if they actually have him, like they give. Bond like the charm, but still have like this is the core gameplay. Mm-hmm. Like I, w- I would love to see what the- how they would address that because that would it just be like, mm, how are you? how are you or afternoon everybody or would they actually like you know, that was my very bad attempt to do a Sean Connery into a Roger Moore, <laughs> just to be clear what was going on just there. Uh, it was I actually rewatched uh, Live and Let Die not too long ago. Oh. I was like I gotta show. Because my roommate had never seen it. I was like, i got to show you how the world got introduced to Roger Moore. <laughs> and I still I still think one of my favorite parts of that movie is just him getting shoved into an alley, hitting the wall, turning around going, thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, that to me is like the perfect bond. Just, kinda... just reaction. Just situation yeah. like that. <laughs> like, he's, he's still clearly concerned because he's about to be killed, but he's like breaking the tension yeah. as he gets led to this burnt-out alley in Harlem. Ah, that's a weird movie. Anyway, <laughs> let's uh, move on from uh, Assassins on Earth to Assassins in Space. Yes! <laughs> you know, because uh, that's kind of what bounty hunters are to a degree. Yeah, very much. I mean, they're, they're, it's supposed to be dead or alive, though. So, yeah, it's you know. supposed to be, but uh, sometimes, you know, situations happen. Yeah. When I uh, played Star Wars The Old Republic, uh, my first uh, campaign was actually uh, Bounty Hunter. Okay! Yeah, that was uh, that was interesting because well, there was a whole thing where they give you like, you know how like in Empire Strikes Back they're like uh, carbonite. We have never used this on a human being mm-hmm. before, mm-hmm. and and then in the freaking every other thing it's like yeah yeah we do this all the time. <laughs> so I think in their heads now it's a canon where it's like okay we're repurposing this particular one, but it has been done before. It's pretty goofy. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk about The Mandalorian Season 2. Yes! 
So the basic, um, for those of you who didn't see season one, the whole thing was um, he ended up rescuing this 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 alien child, uh, Gordu. Yeah. Who we find out his name of later. Yeah, on. we finally right. fi- finally discover what his name is, and um, one of the situations yeah. where we uh, are looked upon as, hey, he was telling he could have told you his name any time. He just didn't ask. Yep. <laughs> That was kind of funny. Yeah, that was. But, uh, yeah, like, so the whole thing is he he was supposed to go and find him for the Empire, well, the remnants of the Empire, and he was like, you wouldn't know. No, I'm, I'm, I'm too father-figurally-like to, to, to let this happen. Because I am Pedro Pascal, I'm the Internet's dad. <laughs> the greatest dad in the world! I, I think I think I said that before, and then I don't think we got we mentioned this on the freaking podcast, but he got cast as Joel Miller. Uh, we did not mention that yet. So once again, <laughs> the greatest dad in the world. Yeah, like that's gonna be an interesting different take. <laughs> I don't know if you could do Joel's accent, but uh, I, I mean, I'm you know, really intrigued fine. with that with that casting choice. Like, I, I'm all for it because I love Pedro at this point. Like, he has done nothing wrong to me. No, no, no even in the movies, they kind of suck. Right, like, like, I, I mean, wasn't... we were just talking about Wonder Woman 1987. I mean, 1984. Like, we were just talking yeah. about that, and he still was a great bright spot in that movie. Oh, yeah, I know. Like, he was good, and, like, yeah, like, um, he was pretty good in uh, We Can Be Heroes. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, he was very much what he was supposed to be in that. That was good. And then, um, yeah, and then, of course, in Mando here, this is just fantastic stuff from him. And even though it's like half the time he's like, is he really on set? Because I keep telling, I I keep hearing that it is actually him under the helmet, like eighty percent of the right, time. Right, right. But I'm always skeptical about that. Same here. I really am. Like there's a lot of times where I I'm really with it. I'm really believing it. And then there's other times where I'm just like, no, this is a stunt double. Like I just don't believe yeah. it. This voice, they just dubbed him over on that. I'm just gonna bring this up because I always thought found it fascinating. Because like a particular example, and this is relevant. Because uh, in Iron Man 1, um, which was directed by John Favreau, who is, of course, one of the main dudes behind um, Mandalorian, uh, he, there's a scene where Tony Stark is handed a piece of paper and he's supposed to look at it. Mm. You never see Robert Downey Jr.'s face, yeah. and it's entirely a stunt double in that scene. Because yes. he's like, we're not going to have him on scene just to hold a piece of paper. Like, it isn't just the close-up of the hand looking at it. It's literally the hand reaching out to take the paper. Yes. Where you don't see the face. And I'm just like... Like, if you're not aware of that, when you even though you've watched a bunch of movies, like, that is always a fascinating thing behind the scenes. So it's like, of course it's not going to be him behind the mask full time. <laughs> Which, of course, this inevitably is like, you know, we paid uh, $30 million, $40 million for Robert Downey Jr. We have to show his face most of the time, even though he's wearing the Iron Man helmet. You know, it's probably one of the reasons they created those uh, facial perspective things in with the Iron Man. Yeah, the first yeah. Ones, mm-hmm. right? uh, anyway... <laughs> So in this case, yeah, the whole thing is they're dealing with the aftermath of that because they uh, dealt with, why can't I think of the Moff's name now? Moff Gideon? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know who I'm thinking of. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know exactly (laughs) who you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, and, um, yeah, we got this. So the big, the, the kind of the more uniting arc, like the first time it was kind of an episodic thing where he was just kind of on the run. And eventually Moff Gideon showed up, and it was the whole thing with him. Mm-hmm. Now in this one, it's more he's trying to um, find a Jedi Master. Right, trying to return to the Jedi, yes. Yeah. 
so in this case, we have more of a unified plot where um, they're looking. They're, he's just kind of bumping shoulders with other Mandalorians, including a few familiar faces. Yes. Uh, and also gets like this is the one that really kind of <laughs> tries to tie a lot of the animated series more than anything else to like um, just this live action stuff they're doing now. And once again, we get a lot of colorful characters who show up for the first time. And it's like, oh, cool, nice to see that person. And not to mention actors uh, showing up just to voice characters or uh, be characters again. Like, uh, Grief Cargo only shows up, I think, in one or two episodes again. Or Boy Color Weathers, right? Was it two episodes? I think it was two, yeah, yeah, it was two. Yeah. But uh, once again, uh, Kara Dune's in quite a few episodes. And later on, a couple of uh, Mandalorians become pretty recurring characters. Well,. Sort of three? Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that. I, 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 like, I don't want to just jump right into that because there's a lot of other characters we need to bring up. And, like, uh, and Fennec Shan returns as well. Our girl, Mingna. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's fair to say she's our girl, yeah. Oh, very Between much so. Oh, no. Uh, there's no denying that. Yeah. She's still one of my girls. I know. I'm right there with you. No, no. There's no denying that. I was so happy yeah. to see her back, too. Like, even... When it was like, okay, we're not going to have her around for long, I was still so happy to see her. Yeah. And, like, there's there's continuity because, like, um, which episode was it? Where, right, because in Chapter 6, a.k.a. Episode 6 of the last season, mm-hmm. uh, worth mentioning, by the way, there's only eight uh, per season, the, the Republic now wants him for his role in a prison break. Right, yeah. So that's a whole thing. And he's got a deal with that and he's got it and he's the whole time he's looking for um what the hell is his name or was it the name of the planet I thought, was, I, thinking of? I thought it was the planet yeah it's the planet yeah. sorry yeah yeah they go sorry yeah because there's the frog lady yeah <laughs> <laughs> and the and, and they get to Trask sorry for some reason I thought Trask was the name of uh like was but was Bo-Katan's last name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only yeah. thing is, you know, this is this is what was causing the confusion because like because Trask is an obvious surname, mm-hmm. and but then yeah, the character's name is Bo-Katan Kreese, which is a solid Star Wars name. But there's a character we're gonna need to talk about because I overall love this character, but I always thought the name Koska Reeve yeah. was slightly anti-Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> like it's up there with uh, Beckett from um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, Solo. Where, like, that name is like, that doesn't sound Star Wars enough. No, no, not at all. Like, Koska is a solid Star Wars first name, but, but then it's like, mm, that surname feels too real. Maybe it's because, maybe it's I don't know, well, back in the day I was a fan of a basketball player whose last name was real. Okay. Just, but you I mean, know what I mean? I mean, the thing was, you compare the last, that last name to almost every other last name on the character list. Yeah, I know. Like, this is what I'm doing. Because, like, like, Moff Gideon, I'm like, uh, there's, you know, I've, I've, I've heard the name one. Gideon a lot, but, like, that still works. There's only one. And that's Bill Burrow's character. Oh, that's true. He's, like, the only one that has a last name. It's, like, some other. It's Mayfield, yeah. Like, he yeah. is the only one that has, like, a normal name that you wouldn't expect for Star Wars. Well, the name Lang. What? Well, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, you're right. Well, I mean, that's what we'll see. Like, I always say that's a certain name, but that's, like, a, just the only name. Yeah, that's true, right? Yeah. yeah, we never got a full name for them. But yeah, like even 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 uh, Doctor P- 
Pershing, it's like, eh, it's kind of exotic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got, it's got a little ring to it, you know. And, like, the first the first name doesn't need to be exotic. I mean, Luke is hardly I, exactly. exotic. So I, I could roll with someone having, like, a generic name like Kara and a last name like Doom. Because mm-hmm. Doom is kind of like, oh, that's yeah, No, that does, yeah, no. You don't, you don't regularly hear a Doom person. Yeah, but uh, the, yeah, the reason I even brought up Costco Race, of course, we're wrestling fans. Yes. And it was Sasha Banks. Yes. Uh, Mercedes Bernardo playing her in because like and I always love the story because it's like she got the role out of Hot Ones yeah <laughs> just such a weird way to get this role and, and, and the, the like, thing about it was like so interesting because like the first episode she appears on they, she has no dialogue yeah. and I'm just like thinking oh they're going to give her the Roman Reigns treatment now in Fast and Furious Hobbs and Shaw like she's not going to say a word and then they actually give her some dialogue later on in the season <laughs> Yeah, I know, because she's actually in... How many episodes is she in? Three? Yeah, three, yeah. Including the yeah. finale, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty big. We'll get to that. But yeah, like the like the first three episodes, they're kinda, they've are kind kind of of gone off on their own, and they end up running into Bo-Katan. And of course, the, the word heard around the internet is like, you must meet the Jedi, mm-hmm. Ahsoka Tano. And the internet just loses it. <laughs> Like Disney Plus this year of its like, or sorry, this these last few months I should say because technically this this all aired um, twenty twenty I believe mm-hmm. or except for wasn't the finale yeah yeah twenty uh, was no the yeah that was in twenty twenty uh, yeah, yeah oh yeah that was in you know, in almost the middle of December I didn't even know it was that long ago. yeah for some reason for some reason I thought it was January yeah uh but yeah they've been really crushing it with like the big cliffhangers and everything especially with Wine Division which I'm sure we'll talk about oh yeah definitely. Episode. Um, that actually might be the next episode we'll have to talk about no I think it'll be the episode after because I think the finale will be uh, like the week that we'll record the next one is it because no there's one this week is it 8 episodes or 10 yeah it's 9 oh 9 episodes oh Mm. yeah so I think we're gonna be fine okay cool There you go. Just gonna look. It's hard to talk about this show. We've had this problem before. I know. I know. That's a, a big problem with this, especially the season in general. Like after you get past the first half of the season, it really yeah. gets spoiler heavy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because like I don't think we're gonna talk about that thing that happens at the end of the season. No, we can't. Talked about. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> but what I wanted to get to that, like, well, there's one character we have to talk about. Okay. Uh, okay, so we, yeah, we talk about we have to talk about Ahsoka first of all, because mm-hmm. of course she's the thing that's like his name is Gordu or Grogu. Grogu, right? yeah. I always think there's a D in there. <laughs> Gor- Honestly, Gordu would have been fine. That'd been too. fine too, yeah. And she and Rosario Dawson plays her, and she's really good at this. Yeah, no, she gets a, um the introductory episode for her character is like the it's the fifth episode, right? Yeah. It's it's literally called the Jedi. Yeah, oh yeah, you're right. There you go. Yep. And um, like she is so phenomenal as this character, and like you said, this brings so many. This season specifically brings so much connection to the animated series, and she really brought that character to life. Like I did not expect her to. Mm-hmm. No, just a great job. And in the follow up, the next episode, that's when we get the big revelation, and um. No, I th- no, the fifth episode we get the revelation of Grogu's name, right? Yeah, that's probably the biggest one. Yeah, yeah. And also we get name dropping for future live action stuff. Yes! Because this is the season more than any, I think, that, like, 
they did, like, and honestly, I'm glad they're doing this in the TV series rather than, um, so, we didn't really talk about it in Solo, but one of the whole things was, in that one was that, uh, what's her nuts' character, um, uh, Emilia Clark's character, whose name escapes me, because, honestly, her character was kind of forgettable yeah. in that one, uh, doomed love interest <laughs> was working for Darth Maul, um, and so that was supposed to set up the Obi-Wan Kenobi miniseries. Right. That was the whole thing, is they would have one last showdown where they might, like, the, well, the movie, I should say. And so the theory is with the series now, they're actually going to canonize, they're going to do some live-action, like, flashbacks to parts of Clone Wars 2. Mm-hmm. Which would be interesting, because, like, one of the big things in um, Clone Wars, spoilers, uh, is that Obi-Wan Kenobi was actually very close with the Duchess of Mandalore. She was probably the closest thing he had to a, like, a legit love interest. Mm-hmm. And Darth Maul kills her in front of him. Yes. <laughs> Which I'm like, okay, fine. I don't know. Like, if you're gonna do this, at least they're doing it right. right. And it wasn't like, oh, she was introduced just to die. No, no, no. Like, she was a character for two or three seasons before that happened. And when she, oh, no, when she first appeared, she got antagonized by Greg Proops. Yeah. Which I just love bringing up. <laughs> Curse you, Greg Proops. <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, so that was the whole, like, that was the theory there, that that was all going to lead to that. And now that we're getting the series, that could still end up being the payoff for that weird cameo in Solo. Uh, and in this case, yeah, she is looking for Grand Admiral Thrawn, implying that Grand Admiral Thrawn is still a thing. Yes. And at the same time, oh boy, a lot of other stuff happens. <laughs> Because if you think, oh, they can't possibly top um, Ahsoka showing up and setting up Grand Admiral Thrawn, well, Grand Admiral Thrawn doesn't show up. No, he doesn't, no. But but Finnick Shan shows up again. Yes! And she shows up with a friend. And this one I will spoil because it leads into the next season, sort of. Yes, yeah. She shows up with Boba Fett. Yes! (laughs) And and the thing (laughs) is, we actually don't know it until he shows up physically. But there's actually yep. a tease of him early in the season. Yeah. And we don't know what that is until we get the revelation of Boba. And that that was that was great. Because Yeah, no, because that was really because of course the Mandalorian armors in general kinda look the same. Exactly. So it's like you know, when we first saw him it's like, okay, we think he's Boba Fett, he's clearly not Boba Fett though. And the whole thing is, you know, they set up the whole thing with the Beskar steel and whatnot. And then um yeah, and then we see a guy with kind of worn out armor. It's like, huh, there's another Mandalorian because mm-hmm. we're getting more Mandalorians this season. And it's like, oh wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then that's the whole thing because um, what's his nuts? I'm sorry, I keep forgetting people's names because because <laughs> Timothy Oliphant did this and. He's really good in his role as uh, this one character. Uh, what's his name? Cobb Vaughn? Yeah, Cobb Vaughn, yeah. Y- yeah, yeah. <laughs> this character shows up, and he's turns out he's wearing Fett's armor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, man, they're just messing with people now. <laughs> and just when you think you can't top it, hey, guess what else shows up? Not only do they do something which would be considered sacrilege in most Star Wars yes. canon, which I won't spoil, but you know exactly what I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah, I know about. exactly what you're talking about. They followed up that shocking moment 
with another fan wank moment. And I say this with all respect when I say fan wank moment. Because, once again, like, this is the, this is the thing about this series. They are really exploring the expanded universe stuff and trying to make a canon. Right. They bring in the frickin' Dark Troopers. Yes! So those who aren't familiar, the Dark Troopers go back to the Star Wars video game Dark Forces. Mm-hmm. Which was one of the original explanations for how they got the Death Star plans. Because it followed Kyle Katarn stealing the Death Star plans, and then he spends the rest of that game hunting the Dark Troopers. Yes. Who were like these droid or cyborg-like stormtroopers. And I get this one, I think they're purely droids, but they're like, you know, they're they're basically the perfection of the super battle droids from uh, the Clone Wars combined with stormtrooper technology. Exactly. Which sounds ridiculous, but actually makes them quite deadly. (laughs) No, 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 no. I mean, you see them and you're like, oh man, it's going down. Yep. And I, you know what? Let's not spoil the less what happens after that. But like, just I just wanted to la- nail down like just how much of a fan service this series is already. <laughs> <laughs> and then it ends with a shocking cliffhanger because, um, well, sort of shocking cliffhanger. It, it ends with basically a trailer for what's about to happen next because uh, Fennec Shand is still around, Boba Fett's still around, they're still on Tatooine, and they're like. Hey, what happened to happen to Jabba the Hutt? Yeah, exactly. So Boba Fett just kind of wanders in, kills Bib Fortuna, rip Bib Fortuna. I don't think he had too much in the expanded universe. I could be wrong. No, no. The thing with the expanded universe is that a lot of characters have ridiculously long biographies now. Exactly. They eventually die. Um, and then he's, and it's like then so like Ma- the Mandalorian season three isn't gonna happen next year but they're doing Book of Fett yes. in the meantime yeah, Book of Boba Fett coming and uh we also got another spinoff yep how many spinoffs have they confirmed now I wanna say three but I'm not sure yeah cause like I said Osaka, Osaka got hers Ahsoka yeah Ahsoka yeah, got hers Boba Fett's got his yeah. And I want to see the third one. one, but I can't remember what. Yeah. Oh, man. What was that? I wanted to... Um, mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I want to talk about in the meantime is I want to bring up, first of all, um, the music again. Because like, the music of the first one, I think it's something we didn't talk about enough. No, 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 really no we well did done. No. Because there was that... There was definitely that Star Wars element, but there was a lot of guitar, mm-hmm. which was very unique. But he still made it sound Star Wars-like, which was very impressive. And now, this one more than any other, he really used um, stuff that really invoked... Uh, is it Ennio Morricone? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, it's, prob- it's probably fair to say it, him specifically in his, like, spaghetti western scores. Yeah, exactly. Like, his was like... Ennio Morricone did the score for the Sergio Leone uh, Spaghetti Westerns, uh, which I believe is uh, Good, Bad, and the Ugly is probably, you know, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Let me let me, let me me just go through Sergio Leone's, because I want to emphasize what the the, emphasis, the influence this had in The Mandalorian, just musically, because mm-hmm. he did A Fistful of Dollars, A Few Dollars More, The Good, Bad, and the Ugly, and Once Upon a Time in the West, and Once Upon a Time in America which are all very classic Western films. And Ennio Morricone scored basically all of them, 
Oh yeah, yeah. So it's like, so it's like, yeah, this is uh, and like the music in general, like they do such a good job employing it perfectly in like the quiet moments, the big moments, everything, and of course at the very end, with some of the big, big reveals, and like they just do a good job of setting up. Um, was it? Yeah, they even bring up because they bring up Yoda. When they meet with Ahsoka, yeah, they do, yeah. They, and, they... Yo- and Yoda's theme is played there, but it's slightly different. Mm-hmm. And it still works so well. Like he does a good job of leaning into the classic John Williams stuff too. Like this is this is why I like it because he's invoking spaghetti western, and he's doing Star Wars music, which is mostly said by John Williams, but mostly on a guitar, and like the primary instrument, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. So very much gives it like the space what like this is how I would imagine now space westerns are gonna solve sound from now. Yeah. Like, you know, before this it was kind of like that kind of jazzy space blues that we got in you know cowboy bebop. Right, right. Like that probably defined space westerns for a yes. long time. And this is I think a solid alternative, which is one of the reasons I love the series so much. Just just in terms of like the presentation, of course, the cinematic style of the episodes in general which, you know, John Favreau does a great job with setting the standard. And we just get all that set up. And speaking of which, I should mention, some of the other directors in this season are very well done. Like, John Favreau wrote most of the episodes again, mm-hmm. which makes sense because most of the episodes are very tightly linked as a result. Exactly. Like, I, think one of the, I think he didn't write two of them. No, it might be more than that. It might be three. No, it's two of them. Because he didn't write um, the Jedi. Yeah, he didn't write that, and he didn't write the Believer, which is the uh, the preseason finale. Yeah, which itself is kind of like a reference to last season. So, and like it's a bit of a different, it's a bit more heist like because mm-hmm. it's another heist style episode. <laughs> uh, and oh yeah, I just forgot about. I'm just thinking about what happens in that episode now because of course I'm like scrolling through look at the stuff and then like the episode description I'm like oh right that thing where that character does the thing which I don't want to talk yeah, about exactly. much, that would be <laughs> I'm trying to just flatter to avoid talking about the last two episodes a lot but yeah I did mention the heist thing and then um, the Jedi episode is also written by some by the director of that one Dave Filoni yeah. uh, which kind of makes sense because that's a very insular and did Filoni I'm trying to remember what Filoni did because he yeah he did work on the Clone Wars Okay. Oh, and he worked on uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I just saw it. I pulled up. That. Yep. What did he do? Did he just do? Oh no, he's he was a director on episodes of that. That makes sense. Okay. And yeah, Star Wars: Clone Wars. He was director, and then he did. Uh... Yeah, he did various things there. Um. Yeah, this makes sense. He. <laughs> no wonder he directed that episode and wrote that episode because he did a lot of. Uh stuff with that show like the only one he didn't do was Star Wars Resistance mm-hmm. yeah, he did like, a lot of Star Wars animated stuff yeah, wow. that makes sense yeah, that, that definitely makes sense <laughs> it, it's really making sense because he probably helped to find Ahsoka more than anyone else yeah, I was about to say he, he pretty much knows how to connect all the dots and how to really bring out the characters in that regard yeah no that, that, that makes a ton of sense yes it does oh, that was great <laughs> great work that was great then great yeah, work yeah I know because I mean this, like, because the, the first season, you know, it felt a little disjointed. This one's a little more jointed as a result. Yeah, no, it and started off with that, that kind of uh, that kind of cowboy traveling style of, of a season like that we had in the first season with the first few episodes. And then once it got tight together and, and we started really unraveling the story and even had some reunions here and there, 
Like, that's when it really got good. And it didn't take long for it to happen. It was like the first three episodes. We kind of had that whole uh, feeling of a travel situation, like they're still on the run. But then after that, it kind of like really settled down to a nice groove. Wait, because the first two are, they're basically on the run. Yeah. Um, but the second one being the one where, like, he's also trying to transport Frog Lady. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was the, yeah, because, like, the first one's kind of, like, they're on the, they're on the rung on, uh, Tatooine. Right? That's right, yep. Yeah, yeah. I was like, Desert Plan, are they on Tatooine when this happens? Yes. And then, uh, yeah, and then they decide to go, they're headed for Trask, and they have the whole thing where the New Republic's now hunting them for the actions of mm-hmm. last season. Which is a solid little, okay, you can't just go to the New Republic and just be like, I need to find a Jedi. <laughs> Granted, you know, the universe is in a very chaotic place right now. Exactly. But the, yeah, the third one's when you meet up with Bo-Katan and everything. And by the way, I want to say, Katie Sackhoff did a great job taking her animated character and bringing her to yes, life. Yes, she did. Like, it's been a while since I've had a good Katie Sackhoff role. I really thought was, because, like, you know, she was pretty solid at Starbuck in uh, Battlestar Galactica, mm-hmm. writing aside. I had some problems with the writing of that show. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then, um, uh, no, she did a great job transporting the character to live action and taking a character who easily could have been whiny and just making her not. I think it's probably the best way to describe it because this character, more than some other characters in the series, has a very good reason to potentially be a whiny, annoying little tool. Yeah, very much so. And she's very much not. She does a good job of expressing that frustration, but still holding back enough that you're not like, I suddenly hate this character, no matter how justified they are. Yeah. Which I think is something I need to praise an actor for. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Director might have also helped, but I gotta, I gotta slip that in. Um, I don't know if there's much else to say, though. No, no, like, like I said, without spoiling some of the bigger moments, no, no, it's... A really great season of a follow-up from the first season, which kind of, I think, blew us all away. Like, we did nice. We hoped that it was going to be really good, but it turned to be a lot better than we expected. And, um, yeah, yeah now this one follows up on that, and, and to me, just had a, a heck of an ending that I never saw. Mm. I, I saw it. I could imagine it happening, but I just never saw it coming this early in the series. I just want to mention they also do bring up metachlorines, but they do a very good job of making it sound less dumb. Mm-hmm. Here's like the child has a high M count. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine like sure. <laughs> might as well. It's already canon. You might as well use it. Yeah. Let's just make it not suck. I think the only yeah the only thing worth mentioning is some of the guest directors because like um because John Favreau directed at least two episodes this season. Uh, Peyton Reed. Um, did uh, the passenger? Yeah, thought he did a solid job yeah, with that. That's, that's the main frog lady did. episode. Yep, which isn't too shocking considering. Uh, and then, um, yeah, Bryce Dallas Howler- Howard did the heiress one, which is the one about uh, Bo-Katan mm-hmm. and everything. And yeah, she did a pretty solid job with that. Yeah. Uh, I'm shocked considering you know who her relatives are too, yeah. right? It's like, <laughs> oh, directing runs in my blood. I mean, oh, <laughs> it's one of the. Not that she isn't talented or a run. I'm just saying, like. It's just one of those, hey, she's been around it enough. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of the shame of it all. I feel bad for saying that now, because it's like, ah, it was your destiny to be a director. (laughs) (laughs) She was the chosen one. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, and then Carl Weathers directed uh, The Siege. Siege, yeah. 
I like I don't think I've seen anything he's directed before. That was no, really no, that was really weird. I did not expect because like none of the direction was bad this season. Like I think the only thing is there was a couple of stylistic things in chapter fourteen, mm. and like and and I saw who the director was. I'm like, oh, it's Robert Rodriguez. I'm like, it's the couple of things he does every now and again that I'm like, Robert Rodriguez, you're a very good director, but maybe just tone, tone it down, down a little like, bit. Like, yeah, like that more than anyone. Like I just um, there's this one cut in particular. I was like, hmm. Wouldn't have done that. Yeah. Which is like still very small. I'm not. I'm not trying to poop on Robert Rodriguez <laughs> for being a talented director. I want to be. Again, I feel guilty about saying that now. And then, yeah, Peyton Reed directed the. Yeah, John Favreau only directed the first episode. Mm-hmm. And then um, I'm not familiar with this other director. Let's look him up. <laughs> this is the problem. We're, we're just kind of doing research because it's like we can't spoil the series too much. Right. Right. There's. Almost nothing we didn't like about this. The characters are all pretty well realized. Everything. There's a couple things we're not going to talk about because there's no point in really talking about it. Uh, so I'm just kind of looking at the director now. I've never heard of Rick Famuyiwa. No, I, I've I heard never... of some of the works, but I did not, you know, put a face and name to that. I actually don't think I've. I oh, know I've seen Children of Blood and Bone. Right. Okay. I Wait, know no, I don't. Sorry, no, 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 I haven't. I'm thinking of something else entirely. Because that hasn't come out yet. I've read it. That's why I'm thinking about okay, it. Okay, <laughs> okay. Wow. No, I don't think I've seen any of his movies. As I know about Dope, but <laughs> I've, I've never seen it. Oh, Confirmation, never seen that. Oh, but interesting about The Flash. I've never seen a trailer for that. I've never seen that, though. Yeah. Yeah. He was supposed to direct The Flash, yeah. but he got canceled. And I haven't seen The Chi. Yeah, I, I've just been on my watch list for so long and still haven't done it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I gotta get oh, it. no, it's, and it's pronounced... The Chai. The Chai. Chai, yeah, for Chicago. Okay, because it's about Chicago. Yep. Okay. I can see how that would be an interesting series worth watching. Yeah, I still haven't watched it. I need to. I, I feel so bad. Like, normally when I look him up, I'm like, oh, right, this person did it. Yeah. No, he's doing an adaptation of a book I read a couple years ago, and I was like, I've seen that. I'm like, no, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> you know that thing where you're desperately trying to... Hey, oh, no, you're grabbing it. onto it, man. Like, you just want, yeah. you want to feel this one, but no, no. That's it. Yeah. Hopefully, one day we'll get it. Yeah. I read the book first, don't you worry. I must ask, then, um, is there anyone else you want to shout out to, or maybe be like, mm. No, I mean, uh, other than... um. I have to say that, surprisingly so, I, I brought him up earlier, and I'll bring him up again, Bill Burr. Like, his episode, it was so good, with the, the little twist that they did with his character. I was thoroughly impressed. I did not see that coming. I, I, I did not see that coming at all. <laughs> again, we can't spoil too much. No, yeah. no, I don't want to spoil it at all. I, it was just, he did it very well. I was very surprised, and, and thought he did a marvelous job, like, that singular episode that he was a part of. I'm trying to remember who the hell this one character is because I completely—I don't think we forgot to bring up his name. Who the heck is Axe Wolves again? I honestly can't remember. Yeah, because that's a hell of a name. Yeah. One of the actors I don't immediately recognize. Oh, yeah, he's one of the human Mandalorians. That's why I don't remember. Ah, okay, okay. You know, it's like... And, of course, um, once again, we got funny, funny comedian person voicing a droid, <laughs> and it worked pretty well. Because, yeah. of course, Richard Ayoade yeah. is... Uh, that one felt maybe a little too on the nose. Yeah, yeah, it really did, yeah. It's just, it, don't get me wrong, I'm glad to see 
If you're going to do Quirky Droid, yeah, Rashida Awadi. It, it's choice. not a bad choice, no. No, and he, he was funny and everything. I was just, it's more just the concept of that casting. Like, I'm not upset you did it, but tone it down. You know, it's the tone it down thing mm-hmm. again. It just felt like, I don't know. But again, I'm also a fan of Richard Rattawadi, so I'm like, oh, it's nice to see him. And of course, you know, I'm more likely to recognize his voice. Uh, yeah. Uh, was would you say this is John Leguizamo's best voice role since Spawn? Hey, I was going to say, like, I honestly didn't know it was John at first. I had little, little reflections here and there, and I was like, oh, this sounds familiar. But no, he did a, a marvelous job. Yep. He just had to slip in a Spawn reference. No, I know. I, so... I have to bring that up half the time. I see John Leguizamo's name. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's Mandalorian Season 2 is very good. Um, I think it's better than Season 1. No, I enjoyed it a lot. I... I I enjoyed season one a lot, but this was better. This was worlds better. It just it just fixed a lot of the little problems that season one had, and of course yeah. built on the foundation of season one. So you already had that that nice establishment. You had to worry about trying to uh, uh, ease ease viewers into understanding the universe. Like we already had that establishment, so you can kind of like jump it right into it and really enjoy what's going on, and that worked very well for those. Like probably the best way to describe it is season one is. A little more meandery, yeah, which can which can be frustrating, but it is all in the service of world building and characterization. Mm-hmm. So it isn't necessarily harmful, but it is frustrating if you're looking for something a little more straightforward. Exactly, especially with the hook of the first episodes. Uh, whereas the um, the second season, yeah, it's a little meandery, but it, like not nearly as much because there's always a clear goal. Yeah, that's the thing. Like we. It was one of those things in the first season where we had the premise of, oh, they're on the run. Like, we know what's the cause of why they're doing what they're doing, but we didn't necessarily have an end game to it. It was just something that this, everything's unraveling as we were watching. Whereas at this time, we actually have a goal set at the beginning of the season. And how you go about that goal is what pretty much set up the whole thing about what would play out in season two. And I think it worked a lot better for it. Yeah, like, it's... Like, I don't think the show's, there's anything about the show particularly bad. It's just, it can be a little tricky as a viewer sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, like, as a result, it made the first season more like, I can wait till next week. Whereas the second ep- the second season, it's like, I gotta watch the next episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the next episode. Yeah. Which, uh, I think worked to its advantage, even though, once again, it was an episodic thing released a week at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, so it's definitely good. Pedro Pascal, once again, dad of the year. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it going, boy. I'm telling you, we, we, we got high hopes for you. Yes, we're watching over your career with great interest. <laughs> Had to slip that one in there. I think, think we can wrap it up at this point. Yeah, I think we did it. I think that's uh, pretty much it for this one. Really, really good season and didn't let down on the uh, quality from the first season at all. 100%. Uh, well, I guess we'll catch you guys next time. And, of course, just remember... It was Peter all along.